0: had a pet growing up. Anybody have a pet growing up? We always had a pet growing up. Our very first pet uh, when I was a little, when I was a kid was this little dog called a Toy Manchester Terrier and it was like a a miniature Doberman pincer. It was about the size, smaller than a loaf of bread. Smallest, one of the smallest dogs you could possibly get. The next dog we had after that was one of the biggest dogs you could possibly get. It was a St. Bernard his name was um, Natalie. We called it Natty affectionately, and um, it was one of the most gentle dogs. Um, I love. My parents actually had to; uh, they had to put it down, and I actually every time I think about her, I'm almost on the verge of tears. Um, but we had, and then when I was growing up, we had all kinds of different pets. My parents ended up buying a farm, and so they had like all kinds of different animals. Um, And then there's the pets that Krista and me and the girls had. Um, And I was going to show you pictures, but unfortunately my thumb drive didn't work on the computer. But we've had uh, so many pets in in our time together. We started out with a couple of dogs, small dogs, kind of like our first dog when I was growing up. They were twins. One looked like um, a miniature version of Chewbacca, and the other one looked like a miniature black lab. Nobody could tell they were brothers. And their names were Doctor J and Clifford. They were they were just they were amazing dogs. They were great pets. Um, we had a cat when we were. Um, we moved to the farm, we ended up in- inheriting a cat, a painted turtle. We actually, my girl saved a turtle and brought it home and had it as a pet for a while. We had lizards, we've had fish, we've had African tree frogs. We even had, um, we had a goat. I'm sure you've probably heard the sad tale of our goat. And, um, oh, a whole colony of guinea pigs. When we got rid of our dogs, one of the first pets that we got was a little guinea pig, and his name was Wilbur. And, um... One of our friends had two guinea pigs, and one of them died, and she said, you know what, they were together for so long that the other one's just heartbroken. It's a girl, and I know Wilbur's a boy, but she's past childbearing years. We're like, okay, whatever that means. She can't have kids anymore. So we take them, and within months, we had like 12 little guinea pigs running around in our house. (laughs) Some of them were quite deformed, malformed little creatures, it was sad to say, but... um, (laughs) All is to say, this past week, I, got, um, I actually got myself a new pet. And unlike my dogs, I take pretty good care of this pet. We're, we're horrible pet owners. But uh, in order to keep it alive, I actually only need to feed it and water it like once a week, which is awesome. Um, it's got its own special place in my house that keeps it safe and, and clean and, uh, and comfy. And the thing about this pet is that other than the... One time a week that I need to feed and water it, I never really have to do anything else with it. It's kind of the ideal pet. I don't have to walk it, it never needs to go to the vet. Um, And because I only have to feed it like once a week, if we go away, we don't actually have to worry about it. Can anybody guess what my pet is? It's not a snake, it's not a fish, it's not a lizard, it's not quite a rock. But it's kind of along those lines. It's actually this kind of ooey, gooey, um, yeasty, sharp-smelling sourdough starter. Ha, yeah! Some of you are probably thinking, huh? How on earth could that be a pet? But as I was preparing this week, I I found out some pretty interesting things about sourdough starters. And so I started up my own sourdough starter, and we'll see how it goes. But um, they're pretty amazing little things. The thing about, uh, about a sourdough starter is that for, like, thousands of years, the sourdough starter was actually one of the only ways that people had of acquiring the, the uh, yeast that they needed or the leavening that they needed in order to make um, beer, which at some points in history was actually necessary for sustaining life, and in order to make bread, the leavening for bread. Um, and without a sourdough starter... Sometimes it would be impossible for people to make bread and have the, uh, some of the necess- necessities of life. Um, so for all practical purposes, throughout history, yeast has been an act- an actually a n- necessary element. For thousands of years, bakers and brewers have relied on yeast, um, but they had no idea of what it actually was or how it actually worked. And it wasn't until the invention of the microscope, when people were able to look under a microscope and see that inside of these sourdough starters, there were these yeasts that were helping, them, uh, helping the starters to, to leaven the bread, that they figured out that, that yeast was actually a living organism. It can live with or without oxygen. It's actually a pretty fascinating um, organism. If you're a baker or a brewer, though, you'll also know that Yeast is pretty temperamental. Has anybody a uh, baker tried baking with yeast? Some, some of you? So you probably know it's temperamental. If you use water that's too hot or too cold, the yeast might not activate. If you give it too much sugar, too little sugar, you'll ruin its appetite. And uh, whatever you're trying to make, make might not work out. Um, even, it, even sometimes when you've done everything absolutely right... Sometimes it just doesn't work. And the opposite can be said. Sometimes you can screw everything up along the, proce- along the process, and, it's, and, it, and it works out just fine. But amazingly, um, for thousands of years, a variation of a sourdough starter was kind of the only way to keep bread, a life-giving element, um, and necessity around. So from this, like, disgusting, smelly blob of goop, you could get things like bread and rolls and pancakes and waffles. In fact, um, I brought a little sample of some of the things that you might be able to get from a sourdough starter. And I asked Bruce if it would be okay to throw these around and he thought it might not be a good idea because maybe not everybody could catch and I don't want to injure anybody. But here's a little example of what you might get from yeast. Something that looks like that to something that looks a little bigger like that sharp corners too, so I didn't want to throw that around, uh, to something that might even look a little darker, like this. We made pancakes actually for breakfast this morning. You make pancakes from using the yeast that... Um, does anybody back there feel, uh, feel okay to catch a, a bagel? Yeah? So you could have a bagel like that, or you could have a bagel like that. All come from a sourdough starter. Do you guys want... Want some bread? There's, some, there's a couple of more there. So all those things. There's actually probably hundreds of different types of bread um, that you could make uh, from a sourdough starter. So it's pretty amazing stuff. Uh, really pretty ingenious that people thought, you know, if I, if I keep this sourdough starter around, we can have bread for life. And so... Before people brought yeast home in the little flattened, little dehydrated packages that they have now, they would, they would, what they would do is they'd take a sourdough starter, they would keep it going, and if, if somebody else was in need of something to make bread with, they would divide it up and they would share it with their neighbors. And so sourdough starters um, had this special place throughout history. And in fact, these cultures could actually, they could basically potentially live forever. So Jesus, at one point in his ministry, actually calls attention to to um, yeast, the simple life-giving element that was so necessary for people's everyday existence. So I want you to, um, if if you can, turn to Matthew chapter 13, and uh, we're going to look at a passage where Jesus talks about yeast. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like yeast used by a woman making bread. Even though she used a large amount of flour, the yeast permeated every part of the dough. So everybody knows that or maybe you don't all know, but when you use yeast, you don't use a whole lot of yeast to leaven a whole bunch of flour. So you could have cups and cups of flour and just use a teaspoon or two of yeast, and that will, that will help the whole um, whole bit of flour to rise. Jesus always used stories and illustrations like these when speaking to the crowds. In fact, he never spoke to them without using such parables. So in Jesus' parable about the yeast, the most remarkable thing is that Is how just a small amount of yeast, when mixed in with a huge amount of flour, flour can actually transform it completely. The flour—it was once a dry kind of, not necessarily useless, but solitary material on its own—becomes a living population of organisms that can be formed into a much more useful substance: bread. The parable of the yeast or the parable of leaven. From small, humble beginnings, we get this insignificant lump of yeast that can ge- generate tremendous transformation. And the transformation that happens when you take flour and make it into bread isn't just a cosmetic transformation, it's actually an organic transformation. It's, there's a whole organic process that takes place, and as a result, bread is actually something different than just flour and yeast and water and salt and sugar. You could put all those things together, um, but unless the yeast is activated, unless it's combined in just the right way, you don't end up with, uh, with a proper product. So yeast is, or er, uh, uh, bread is more than just kind of the sum of its parts. Um, it's really interesting the illustrations that Jesus came up with. They're so, I think they're so multidimensional. And his parable about the yeast describes a spirituality that's much like the life of a sourdough colony. It occupies a lifetime of faith and a lifetime of action. It's kind of like a, you want to call it a sourdough spirituality. And so I want to draw a parallel um, between sourdough starters and uh, our faith community. So here are a few, th- there's a few things that we can learn from a sourdough starter. A sourdough starter is actually a living organism. It needs to be fed regularly in order, su- in order to survive. At the very least, it needs to be regularly revitalized and nourished with flour and water. As a faith community, we're, we're the same. We need to be committed to pouring into each other elements that revitalize and nourish each other. Now, it's a good thing to come on, on Saturday night or on Sunday morning to be taught. But in order to be healthy and growing followers of Jesus, we actually need more than that. It's not enough to just come and sit and listen on, on Saturday night and then go and try and spend your week um, and, and living how Christ, how Christ asked us to. A weekend service isn't enough for us to be able to grow and to flourish and become all that Christ intended, us for, intended for us to be. In uh, in many of the letters that Paul wrote to the the early churches, he wrote and instructed them to encourage each other, to stir up one another to love and to good works, to only speak words that build each other up. He encouraged them to do this on an ongoing basis. It wasn't just come to the temple and learn a little bit of Scripture and then go on your way. Words of encouragement are like a yeast starter in the lives of others. I'm sure we've all experienced um, the truth of how significant and important words of encouragement can be in our lives. On the days that I come home from work, I had a really crappy week at work this week. I had to call a couple of different outbreaks, and I was on call this week, and it was just busy, 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 busy. And I got home late, and I was kind of tired when I got home. But on the days when I come home from work, feeling kind of down in the dumps and discouraged, I always feel uh, restored when I come home. And I simply get some words of encouragement from Krista, other girls. Eden, my my youngest daughter, is especially good at this. When I come home feeling down in the dumps, she almost always, almost every night when I come home, she runs to the door, she charges, and she gives me a flying, jumping hug, and almost knocks me over every time, but tells me in some way how much she loves me, and how can I not feel encouraged by those words and actions of encouragement? And so Scripture tells us that we need to pour into others with words of encouragement, words of truth, words of life, words of hope, in order for us to grow to the fullest, potent, our fullest potential in Christ. And so I would encourage each of you to make sure that you're regularly and intentionally building into the lives of others, as Paul encouraged us to do in his letters. Another important thing that, uh, that we can notice about sourdough starters is that Every part of a sourdough starter is absolutely essential for it to work and for it to survive. Here's the entire list of a a somewhat complicated sourdough starter. They're pretty basic, but here's a list of things that you would need if you wanted to make a really good sourdough starter. Milk, yeast, honey, water, and flour. And if you didn't have each of these ingredients and put them together just in just the right way, you wouldn't have a healthy, workable sourdough starter. Each part is valuable. Each part is necessary in order for that sourdough starter to be what it needs to be and to be able to give life and sustenance to others. And it's the same way in our community, in our community of faith. Every member is valuable and every member is necessary. When Paul wrote to the church uh, in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 12, um, this will be up on the screen, he says, but our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Paul says that every member of the body is important, that the church isn't whole unless every member can contributes. The body isn't whole unless we have all of our parts there. The church isn't whole unless every member is there and doing what they need to be doing and being who they need to be. Paul compares the church to the human body where every part is different. But unless every part works together, the body can't function. Much like each part of the body is needed to make a whole, healthy body, the church needs all of its parts to be whole and to be healthy. Basically you could take Paul's words there in First Corinthians uh, twelve And sum it up in three simple words. I need you. I need you. And each of you need each other. Christ valued each of us enough, not just to come to earth and to serve, but to come to earth and to die for us. Remember that when you're stuck alone in a room with that person that you can just barely stand. Christ came to die for that person. Remember that when you're taking a long car drive with someone that you might not be uh, in the the best of relationships with. Christ came to die for that person. God loved them enough to send his son to die for them. We should love them equally as much. So not only does he love them, but he has a purpose for them. As a part of uh, of our community of faith, they add something that only they can add. Each one of us has our own purpose history, our own set of experiences, our own set of learning and knowledge, our own set of skills, our own set of gifts that Christ has gifted us with. So each of us is totally unique and brings with us a totally different set of experiences and skills and something different that we can add to the community. Each of us has a necessary role to play in order to make the church healthy. And to possess a sourdough spirituality, I have to recognize the value in every person in our community. And you need to, to recognize the value in every person in our community. So as Paul said to the Romans, in Romans chapter 15 verse 7, accept each other just as Christ has accepted you and then God will be glorified. An interesting, Another interesting thing about the sourdough starter is that it's the foundation for many different types of bread products. So from from a sourdough starter, you can make dozens of different types of bread with different flavors and different colors and different smells. You can make pancakes. You can make muffins and waffles and bagels. You can make a loaf of bread. You can make pumpernickel. You can make just about any type of bread you can imagine. From one foundation comes virtually hundreds of different bed, bread products. The same is true of the children of God. We're all rooted in the same family. We're all rooted in one God. We're all children of God. But in the end, we won't all look look alike. We won't all act alike. We won't all have identical purposes. We may not even all agree about everything. We may not all even um, believe all of the same things. Paul addressed this issue in the early church. He acknowledged that not everyone would agree on every issue. Not even everyone would agree on what's right and what's wrong or what's morally acceptable or what is morally acceptable. Um, not acceptable. But he gave us some simple guidelines that we can take away from that. Don't condemn condemn each other based on these things. There are some things that are worth fighting for. Knowing that God is the creator of the universe. That he sent his son to die for us. That we can have hope and peace and eternal life and salvation through Jesus Christ. That Holy Spirit can live in us and work through us. Those are some key foundational things that the word of God is the truth the true spoken word of God, and that we can apply that to our lives. There are other things that are kind of peripheral. Paul was talking, when he was talking, he was talking about things like, should I eat meat that was offered to an idol? Is that a sin or is that not a sin? And the the early church got up in arms about that and said, you can possibly be a believer if that's the case. He said, you know what, those are peripheral things. They don't really matter. They don't affect your salvation, and you're standing with me. What we need to do is not condemn each other based on the things that are peripheral. It's for God to judge us, and one day we'll all be accountable to Him for our actions and our beliefs. What we need to do is try to live in such a way that we don't put obstacles in the paths of others. That we don't do things around certain people that you know will cause them to stumble. And above all, we need to make sure that we're serving God in an attitude of humility and of love and of peace and of joy. And in the end, the thing about sourdough starter, or sourdough starter is that you can tell by how it smells and how it tastes, if it's any good. If a sourdough starter smells good, you know it's going to be a good-tasting loaf of bread. If it's off and it smells horribly foul, you can tell that the product that it's going to make is not going to be a good one. The same thing can be said for believers. If we're kind of off, you know that there's something not quite right there, and then we need to look at, uh, do we need to address something with a fellow believer? But we can smell and we can see and we can experience the love of Christ through those who are following him and who have got it right. And that's what a community of, of, of faith uh, it, it should look like. When I'm, at, uh, when I'm at the grocery store, the most tempting thing in the, in the grocery store for me is the bakery department. All that fresh bread. I went, when, I went to, um, when I went to buy that stuff today, I was so tempted to pick up a couple of loaves of, uh, of fresh bread looks and it smells absolutely amazing, and I'm always so tempted by that. That is exactly what our community should look like. Our community should be so attractive that people just can't help but want to be a part of our community. When we follow Jesus' purpose for our lives and our community, we'll be able to become a healthy, life-giving church that unchurched people want to become a part of. So how do we do that? There's one last thing that, uh, that we can learn about sour sto- sourdough starters. In order for the starter to continue to survive, you can't just leave it be. You actually need to take regularly, take a part of it away, and you can either throw it away and waste it, or you can give it to somebody else and give them the life-sustaining goodness of that sourdough starter. Traditionally, the portion that was taken from the starter was given to someone else so that they could start their own sourdough um, starter. And, there's, and, and so the question that I want to ask is, is there something that Jesus is asking you to give away? How about love? It's Christ's foundational message to his followers. Love God and love, um, and love your neighbor. How about hope? Can we extend hope to a hopeless generation? A generation that's in trouble. A generation without hope. If we can't extend them hope, then who can? How about peace? Are your relationships characterized by peace? peace, There's a, a peace in relationships that are restored. When we give ourselves in these ways to the people around us, we give them a lump of something to build on. A lump of a starter to build on. We're giving them a spiritual foundation to build on. We live in a society, in a culture that is starving spiritually, hungry for the bread of life. I read a statistic this week that four out of ten people are chronically lonely. They don't just feel lonely every once in a while when people aren't around. They're chronically lonely. They feel lonely all the time. They don't have anyone to connect with. So what is it that we'll offer? I just want to finish up with this thought. At the end of the day, spiritual growth... And personal growth and maturity only takes place in the context of a relationship. It's kind of like the sourdough starter. It's only within the context of all of those parts mixing together and working together that you have a healthy um, organ- uh, organism that grows and, and allows that sourdough starter to grow and, and give uh, and, and give you a loaf of bread. And so uh, I, I think you'll probably hear more about this in the coming weeks and the coming months. But... Um, what, one, of the, uh, one of the things that we want for each of you is to be involved in a ministry team here at Kingsway. And we want this for several reasons. It's not just that we have gaps that we need filled. It's not just that we want to put you to work. But there's something to be said about being in ministry. There are a number of things that are true about being involved in ministry in general and our idea of ministry teams at Kingsway in particular. And here's the thing. You could come to Kingsway and you could sit in the back row or you could sit in the middle row. If you're really brave, you could sit in the front row and you could listen to sermons week after week after week. You could go to, um, you could go to Tuesday night Bible study or Monday night Bible study week after week after week. And, uh, and you might be able to... And, And you might be able to tell people, you know what? I've got it all together. I go to church. I go to Bible study. You might be able to convince people that you've got it all together because you're a faithful churchgoer. You might hear great sermons. You might experience amazing worship. You might even be learning things in midweek Bible study. You could do all of those things, but still not experience life change. You might be learning some things, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's doing anything in your life. So here's what we know. Doing is actually what makes the difference. You could have all the head knowledge in the world, but unless it doesn't change who you are, how you behave, how you act, how you react, how you interact, what good is it? And so here's what we're hoping for. We're hoping that each and every one of you will be plugged into a ministry in some way, shape, or form. And that as a part of a ministry team, you have the opportunity to start to put into practice what it is that you're learning on Saturday night or Sunday morning if you're here on Sunday mornings or Tuesday night at Bible study. They have an opportunity to serve. That's what the gospel tells us about Jesus. He didn't just come to earth to be served. He came to earth to serve others. And that's what we hope for you. We hope that you'd become more like Jesus through serving. But we also recognize that beyond just putting into practice what you've learned, we recognize that growth only takes place in the context of relationships. It's only in relationships that we can be held accountable. It's only in relationships that we can experience a sense of belonging, that we can experience a sense of, if I don't show up, I actually know that someone's going to miss me. It's only in, in relationships that we can truly feel cared about. Think about it. Any great examples of people in our community who have truly felt cared for occur in the context of relationship. As much as it's nice to have a visit from the pastor when you're in the hospital or when you're not feeling well or when you've just had a baby or whatever it is, um, it's different. When somebody shows up that you don't necessarily expect to show up, we kind of have this expectation that Mark should be involved in all of our lives as a pastor. You might not verbally acknowledge that, but there's an expectation that the pastor will be involved in our lives in certain ways. And I can guarantee you that Mark loves and cares for each of you, but I think there's this unspoken expectation that he will be involved in our lives. But what's truly remarkable is when people we don't have any expectations of show up and care for us, in, even in the simplest of ways, making a meal after we've had a baby or after we've had a, a, a tough life experience, sending a card when, we've, when we're feeling down, taking us out for coffee just to hang out and to chat together and to build into our lives, giving us a needed break from our kids if we don't have anybody else who can watch them for us so we can get out and have a break. It's only within the context of of relationship that we truly experience growth because in relationship, we can be held accountable. In relationship, we experience belonging. In relationship, we experience love and caring and encouragement and support. And so when we say that we want each of you plugged into a ministry team, our goal is that that will be a starting place for building relationship, that the team that you're working with will be a support team for you. That there'll be people who will spur you on to, to serve God. There'll be people that'll be there to put their arm around you when you need someone to walk with. There'll be the people that'll be there to encourage you throughout the week. That they're not just people you're seeing on sat- Saturday night or Sunday morning. They're people you're talking to and connecting with throughout the week. And there are other ways that that can happen. It just doesn't happen in, in the context of a ministry group, but that's a place to start. It could happen um, in uh, in... The, the, uh, the soup dinners, the Super Bowl dinners, or other events that happen like that, connect dinners. So making, making sure that you go out to those, that you connect with people you might not otherwise connect with, that you, uh, that you start to learn about them and build into their lives, and maybe from that you grow into a relationship where you're mentoring them or being mentored by them. I think there's this amazing, amazing um, potential. When we build into the lives of others, but also when we have other people who are intentionally building into our lives. And so we need to seek out those types of relationships. It might be the people that you get together with on Tuesday night if you go to Bible study, or on Monday night if you're a part of the women's group, or on Tuesday night if you go to prayer group. But what's key and absolutely important is that you don't limit your your time with those people to just those times of the week. We need to be building into each other and encouraging each other in an ongoing basis. As Paul said, we need to make sure that we're speaking into people's lives and encouraging them all the time. <clears throat> and so that's our hope and our prayer for you. And, that, and, and as that happens, our hope and our prayer is that, that we will become a church, a healthy church that unchurched people would, uh, would want to become a part of. Can I just pray for you? Father, we thank you that you've put us in such an amazing community. We thank you that we, uh, that we, uh, that we experience some of the things that, um, that you've talked about and the importance of community already, that we have those around us who encourage us, that we have those around us who are willing to listen to us and to walk alongside of us. But I pray that we would be open to expanding that to more than just Saturday night or Monday night or Tuesday night, that we would be intentionally putting ourselves in relationships that that we can walk with each other throughout the week, that we can build each other up, that we can be the community outside of the four walls of this church, and that as we do that, your kingdom would grow and your presence on earth would be made so much more known. And as we do that, we trust that you will draw us closer to each other and closer to you, and we become the children that you called us to be because we asked it in your name. Amen.